0: the NTU would like to acknowledge that this podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wadjuk Noongar people. We would like to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and to note that this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Now, welcome back to episode five of Bargain Hunters. I'm joined today by Wayne Cupido, the Senior Industrial Officer in the WA branch of the NTU, WA Division, I should say. Sorry, is that right, Wayne?
1: That's right, Francis. I'm sort of based in Melbourne, but currently um, allocated to the WA Division.
0: Wayne, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. The reason I wanted to get you on today is that since Episode 4, quite a lot has happened, as Curtin staff probably are aware, there's been several mass meetings of staff um, and members and there's been quite a lot of anger on campus around some of management's positions, particularly uh, with with regards to Indigenous employment targets and administrative pay. Wayne, would you mind giving a brief introduction of yourself? And then I wanted to ask you a few questions about um, what what we call a PABO and industrial action, just to give some of our members who might not know too much about the process, a, a better sense of what's going on. But before that, it would be great just to get a, a brief intro of uh, your background and, and, and you know, what exactly a, a senior industrial officer does.
1: Sure. I'll try to be very brief about it. Um, my background uh, with the organisation is I'm sort of from the membership. So I started out as a member of the NTU uh, probably about 30 years ago, uh, which is, uh, indicates how old I might be. Um, and uh, Got involved in all sorts of things uh, industrial action, enterprise bargaining, uh, dealing with member issues, and uh, went to a lot of sort of development programs the union had at the time. Uh, then, when uh, I got made redundant, there were some vacancies in the union, I applied, and uh, since then, I've worked as an organizer at some of the big branches uh, in Melbourne uh, RMIT Melbourne Monash and also uh, eventually switched over to industrial work, which is the more sort of technical stuff around agreements, disputes, bargaining, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, in, for the last, I think it's probably 10 or so years, um, I've been working in the national office as an industrial officer and, and then a senior industrial officer. Most of my time um, during that sort of decade in the national office has been devoted to bargaining, either coordinating bargaining or um, doing bargaining around the country. I've, I think I've bargained in every state now, um, uh, in all sorts of scenarios, halfway through, from the start, all sorts of things, so I've got, um, I think, a, a good a solid background in bargaining and I often get called upon to do some interstate work where it's
0: needed. Cheers, Wayne. and. I know the bargaining team at Curtin has been very grateful to have you on side uh, at Curtin for this round. From our perspective, management's positions have been fairly hostile and we've been shocked at um, management's unwillingness on almost every issue to give any ground whatsoever. How have you perceived the start of bargaining at Curtin, particularly in comparison to some of the other sites you're familiar uh, with in the country?
1: Um, I've been quite uh, shocked. I think's the word in terms of management's attitude. Although they're pleasant and polite, in terms of engaging with the union's claims and also um, delivering their claims, um, there've been uh, uh, you know it's been uh, uh, quite a shock. They, they haven't agreed to anything yet. So I think there's been some uh, proposals around uh, language allowance, which is about the only thing we've got from them. Uh, they seem to be managing this as a project, which has a start date and an end date. And at the end, we all agree and, and everything's fine. The most surprising thing for me is um, generally we start with uh, uh, claims or clauses that shouldn't be too contentious. So things like Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander employment targets um, and uh, employment uh, uh, arrangements. Um, and mostly universities engage with that positively and we try to get to an agreement fairly quickly and that sort of sets the tone for, for bargaining. But uh, at, at Curtin, as you know, um, not only did they reject our target claim, but they, uh, their response uh, was that we're actually going to remove the, the weak target we have in the current agreement uh, out of respect for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people um, so I was quite shocked with that, um, also uh, uh, academic freedom, I think just a complete no, no response other than no, we, we, we think our current agreement provision is sufficient, um, so I'm quite uh, concerned about the uh, early sort of progress of bargaining, and I can see us going through all of our claims with not much uh, joy there. The other issue that was dealt with at some length has been um, providing uh, um, staff with some relief uh, for cost of living um, and, uh, the uh, you know again, the attitude that, well, that will come at the end once we've done everything, which makes no sense to anyone, particularly uh, people who are trying to make ends meet. It's not going well at all.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point, Wayne, because as we read in the ABC recently, you know, there's a lot of staff at Curtin, whether they're uh, low paid admin staff or whether they're casual academics or, or even if they're um, permanent academic staff who are part time, a lot of staff are really struggling with the increasing costs of mortgages and rent and fuel. And so management's complete unwillingness to um, offer any flexibility on an administrative pay rise has, has been really shocking, I think, to all staff at Curtin. And it's, it's got a, quite a powerful response. At a recent meeting of staff, um, there's been a lot of talk about the need to move towards protected industrial action. And at a meeting of Curtin NTU members, a motion was successfully passed that would uh, commit the branch to move towards protected industrial action if management's position on key uh, clauses does not change. That's raised then the issue of voting for a parbo, and parbo, I think, for some people, is this maddening acronym. Um, it kind of sounds like something you might order at a pub with, you know, a pint and some chips. Um, what what is a parbo? What, what what is it? In, what does it stand for? What does it involve? How do we get one? Why do we need one?
1: Uh, certainly not as enjoyable as anything you get at a pub with chips. Um, <laughs> it, it is a uh, a bureaucratic process that. Um, union members need to go through before they can take industrial action. And PABO actually stands for Protected Action Ballot Order. Um, the Fair Work Act has set out a, um, a set of uh, mandatory steps that every union needs to go through before they can take industrial action. And that process actually delays or postpones um, your right to take um, collective action, industrial action. Um, In the old days, Francis, you're far too young to remember this, but I was in the Storm and Packers uh, Union in in Melbourne, probably, uh, you know, now looking back, not the greatest union ever, but they were very effective. Um, uh, And taking industrial action involved your delegates coming into the warehouse and saying, we're out, and everyone would follow, so that was the process back then. Now we've got a process which involves, um, you know, electronic ballots, AEC-run ballots, um, application forms, the ability for uh, the employer to object. Um, if everything goes well, it takes as little as sort of 21 days. But if the employer, um, you know, if Curtin were to object and there are many grounds on which they could object to a, a protected action ballot order, um, then that that could extend that period. I've known an order to take uh, in the past um, months, so three or four months in some cases. I certainly hope that's not the case um, for uh, Curtin. Uh, The branch is um, prepared for that and we're making sure that we tick all of the bureaucratic boxes that Fair Work needs us to tick before we can actually apply for that and um, then take protected action uh, which which uh, the protected bit means that you're protected, you're, you know, you're immune from um, uh, sort of any adverse or legal action that the employer might have against you for uh, withholding your labour or placing bans on certain parts of your work. So um, I think that answers the question. Did I miss anything there?
0: No, no, that's great. Do you mind if we break some of that down, though? And you're right, for, for young um, Zoomers like myself, um, I'm only 19 <laughs> um i'm trying to work out when i would need to have been born to make this lie work but um to break it down a little bit so some staff might think that a strike is just when a bunch of people as you said decide we've had enough and we're walking off the job and that's illegal in australia you cannot surprise your employer and just walk off the job anytime you want and instead you need to apply to the government and say we would like to take protected industrial action this is what we're going to do. And I believe when, is it correct that if you successfully get your your ballot approved, you have 30 days in which to deliver on the action that you, you said you were going to take? Is that correct?
1: So it's a bit worse than that, Francis. Um, we can only sort of take industrial action once the current agreement's expired and we, we commence bargaining. So there's that restriction as well. Um, as I said, in the old days, you c- could kind of just walk out at any stage. Um, uh, the other thing uh, in relation to your question around the 30 days um, is that, yes, yeah, so once you have protected action ballot order approved by 50%, at least 50% of your members voting and uh, more than 50% of those voting, voting in favour then you do need to um, take all the actions that you've listed on the order within the 30 days, so we call it activating it. The other thing, the other restriction that's also in the legislation, which is, in my opinion, you know, a terrible bit of legislation, um, is that you then also have to give the employer three days' notice of taking any action and specify the action so that they can prepare a response. And they can also apply for an extension to that three days if they need more time to prepare. So it's, you know, a complete dilution of any actual right to strike. It's it's way out of whack um with, you know, international labour uh, standards. Um we have one of the poorest in in the sort of developed um world, uh, one of the poorest sets of uh strike rights um uh, in the world. So um so so that's the nature of, of um the ballot and all the things you need to do before you take it, but yes, if you don't take activate the actions within the first thirty days, they evaporate essentially, um, which is which means you need to time um, the uh, the date your protected action ballot order becomes live, and also then plan out how you're going to activate each of those
0: actions. That's great, Wayne, because I think a lot of staff, the clarity that they're looking for is the difference between voting for a PABO and voting to go on strike. And I think what you've made really clear there is that voting for the PABO is really just voting for permission from the government to take a range of different forms of industrial action within a 30-day period and that doesn't necessarily mean you go on strike. That doesn't necessarily mean teachers walk out of the classroom or people leave the office, um, protected action could take all sorts of different forms, but that you can't take any protected action unless the union membership has got together, voted for a parbo, and that's been approved um, by the government, which leads me to yeah. the next question I wanted to ask you, Wayne, given that industrial action or rather protected industrial action. Can take a lot of different forms, not just a strike. What are some of the things that are happening at other universities? Um, what works? What What are people trying?
1: So this round, there've been mainly uh, strikes, so full or part day strikes. I think Sydney is the most active branch in terms of industrial action, but there've also sort of been bans on overtime and and all sorts of other actions that have been activated and taken by the membership. So, um. Things we've done in the past as well include, um, uh, uh, you know, responding or not responding to emails um, sent by management for a period of time, um, and that can be effective and also very satisfying for our members as well. So there are all a range of things that, that are done, but this round I think we've mainly focused on um, what we call stop works more or less. Uh, At the moment, we've got some people at Swinburne in the TAFE sector who are taking industrial action, um, uh, and that involved uh, not taking attendance logs for classes. And what's happened there is uh, Swinburne have decided to dock their pay partially um, for not doing that part of their job. And we've been uh, uh, engaging with the university about the amount that they've been docked as well. So So that's the sort
0: of thing that's going on at the moment. And so, Wayne, am I right then in in assuming that anything that involves you changing the way you work or withdrawing your labour and stopping work can be a form of protected action? So staff could say, um, I know that I need to complete tasks X, Y and Z in this unit, but I'm only going to do the first two, or I might do all three, but I'm going to take double the amount of time to do them. Anything that involves you changing the way you work... To, to cause a disruption is a form of protected action or in theory is a form of protected action.
1: Look, that, that's right. That's a good sort of short explanation of it, not to get overly technical, but um, it's sort of limiting, delaying or withdrawing um, you know, the, 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 your work or the way you perform work So, um, or, or, or performing it differently uh, in a different manner. Um, So, uh, the legislation is complex. There's lots of case law around it. Um, You know, the NCU last round, I think almost every time we took action, there was an objection from uh, the employers. This round so far seems to be different. There there haven't been those knee-jerk reactions yet. Um, So, I think what we've done, though, uh, from the last uh, few rounds is we've actually Um, uh, considered all the actions that we propose members take carefully so that there could be no objections from the employer, which would delay or remove your right to take action.
0: Wayne, I've got one last question to ask you, which is what message would you give to somebody who's listening to all of this? And they might be a bit reassured that voting for a PABO and having that in your back pocket doesn't necessitate that you immediately go out on strike and that there are other options um, a union can take in terms of protected action, but they're nevertheless feeling a bit nervous about it all. I'm sure there's a lot of people at Curtin, you know, they've never gone on strike, they've never taken any kind of protected action. What would you recommend to those people or what would you say to those people to reassure them about both why protected action works, but also why protected action is maybe not as intimidating as some people might think it is?
1: Look, it works because we we really have nothing else after the arguments and the presentations we make at the negotiation table. I've always said to anyone that i always speak to is that, you know, um, The organising part of it, which includes um, uh, uh, activating the membership and activating them to take industrial action, is what gets you a good agreement, which is why Sydney's agreement is so good and others. Uh, The the good thing about the bureaucratic process is if you do tick all the boxes, and we do, um, then you are protected by the law from any sort of uh, action against you for, for exercising your right to take industrial action. Um, it is confronting sometimes. People sort of worry about, you know, what my boss will think, um, all sorts of things. But one thing, Francis, an experience we both had when I was over there a couple of um, meetings ago was uh, going across the road to people at Pfizer who were taking industrial action and seeing all of the workers out on a picket line and, and um, how sort of happy and proud they were about that and how those people were sort of clapped and marched back into the workplace. To, um, so that's sort of collective response. If you all do it, that's where you get your strength from. If only Francis does it and a couple of others, then then that's a lot harder to convey the message. Um, the fifth note the table is that uh, the management team believes that they know what staff want. They've done all these surveys and they've engaged with staff and they talk about conversations they have with people and that the union isn't... Um, uh, necessarily representing the interests of all staff. Um, now, th- that's wrong. I mean, the, the, I've been really surprised at the level of engagement that the two big meetings we've had since we've commenced bargaining has been promising, but we need more, and we need more people to join the union. The other thing I should have said about protected action, Francis, which is very important, you're only protected if you're a union member, and that's because it's the union's application. So once that... Approved, the organization and its members are protected by the legislation so they're immune from prosecution for the actions they take as long as it's a valid form of protected industrial action so um you know strength in numbers it's that old saying is that if we all do it it's not as confronting and it can be quite um, enjoyable and it will make an impact on the outcome of the negotiations they will move i've seen it I was involved at University of Canberra. Um, We got to the end of the negotiation. This is the final offer, take it or leave it. We believe staff will vote for it. We were confident because we'd been engaging with staff uh, that it wasn't a good enough offer. um, uh, To be fair to management, the offer only included improvements, but there were a few key items that were still outstanding. And we knew we had the support of the membership and all staff They laughed at us and they said, we're putting it out tomorrow. They did. And the agreement got voted down. Also, leading up to that, there was industrial action. There were strike days. um, There were bans on work, on the performance of work and all sorts of things. So uh, that management then had to come back to us and deliver on the outstanding items. And that was probably one of the most enjoyable things I've ever been part of uh, in my time at the union so um collective industrial action works
0: no that's that's a great message Wayne and thanks for um r- reminding me of the um yeah the Pfizer strike the UWU workers um we we, were, we went along to because you're spot on the 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 feeling the vibe there was very much a community one everybody there seemed to be having a ball um the the the, the solidarity and the just the friendship that was clearly there in the group it it really was not an antagonistic um, kind of grim um, um, experience at all. It was, a, it was actually a really, really inspiring one. And, and also, yeah, you raise a really, really important message there, which is that, you know, for anybody listening, if you have colleagues, if you have friends here at Curtin who you really would want to um, be side by side with, whether it's in a picket line or, or any other form of industrial action whatsoever, and they're not a union, you do need to encourage them to become a union because you're not protected um, unless you are one. Wayne, thanks so much for coming onto the podcast and for giving a bit of a you know an expert's guide to protected action, parbos uh, and the rest of it. I know we promised that you would come on the podcast I think on episode one uh, and it took us about five episodes to get to get you in but um, maybe we could get you back for episode 10.
1: Uh, yeah, I'll have to work up the, you know the courage and um, uh, to do it again. But yes look thanks. I, I really enjoy the podcast. And also, um, you know, thanks to all the members out there. I think the support that we have at the table, uh, we, we do feel it. And um, that sort of continued engagement will get us across the line.
0: Brilliant. Okay, thanks again, Wayne. Cheers, mate.
1: Thanks. See you, Francis.